Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. My guest is Robert Kelly, who is the artistic director and founder of Theater Works in Palo Alto. 48, 49 years at this point, plans to retire after 50 years, which is after the 2019-2020 season. That's right. He's basically been doing this since college. This is your career. Do you do any directing outside of Theater Works? I do once in a while. I do three plays a year at least at Theater Works, and they're often large shows, so I, I certainly keep busy. But I just did uh, a show called Unbreakable for the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, uh, Andrew Lippa's new piece that they commissioned. I did a show at The Marsh, Lynn Kaufman's play Two Minds back in May. So once in a while, I get out and do things, but I have a pretty big schedule right here. And you plan to do more of that, I guess, after you, quote, retire. Well, I hope so. I'm available. So (laughs) if you know anybody, pass the word. I love directing, and I love making theater in collaboration with a lot of people. So it's something that, even though I'm retiring, I hope to keep doing for years to come. When you're creating a season, do you already know, hey, I'm going to direct three shows this season and then you pick out those shows or does it go in reverse and you find the shows and then point? We usually pick the whole season to try to make it balanced, to try to make it important and vital to the moment, to mix musicals and plays and to find an appropriate number of world premieres that can fit on the season. And once all that's done, then we'll pick the directors. Occasionally, there'll be a show that comes with a director already attached, and every once in a while, there's a show that I'm desperate to do, and that uh, that winds up on the season. But sometimes it's a question of balance. Normally, I wouldn't put a play on the season unless I wanted to direct it, and you can't do them all. Well, let's go back a bit before we go into the upcoming season, and currently through September 16th, Native Gardens is playing over at Mountain View, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But first... Let's go back to 1970. Were you at Stanford? I graduated from Stanford in 68. I taught school back east for a year. And then when I came back here, various things worked out for me to start what would become Theater Works in April of 1970. The idea was actually an education program for young theater artists in high school and college at that point. Our goal was to create a a new work from scratch. We had no idea that they were called world premieres at the time. It was just our next thing we were going to do. And that show engaged about 70 uh, young artists in the community, uh, and it really set the tone for what theater works would be from then on. All about new work. It was all about music and drama coming together. It was about our own community. We wrote a play that was set in Scraggly Tree, California, which was kind of the same thing as uh, Palo Alto, Tall Tree. It was also about unifying the community, which was pretty divided in 1970 between the young and the old. So a lot of the things that really wound up mattering to theater works over the years uh, were expressed in that first play. Very diverse cast. Popcorn was the name of it. It became a, a big hit for us, and that launched the company. Well, go back before then. If you're going to found a company or whatever you think you were doing at the time, uh, had you been interested in theater growing up? Where did you grow up? 
I was born in San Francisco, but I grew up in Palo Alto, and I was involved in uh, children's theater from the time I was eight or nine years old as an actor, and then in theater off and on uh, through my high school and college years, and also in bands, local bands and things like that. So I had a lot of music and drama built in. But I thought that acting would be the thing, but it turned out directing was a much better fit for me. Back in those days, there was a lot of guerrilla theater going on, and that was the height of the hippies. Were you involved in San Francisco? Were you going up to see shows? Not really. I was, I think, the ultimate suburban kid growing up in an area that would eventually become one of the most diverse in the world, but at the time was homogeneously white bread, but still had a lot of growing to do. And the arc of TheaterWorks reflects what essentially is the arc of Silicon Valley, how it all came to be. I guess we were what you'd call a startup. When did the name TheaterWorks come up? Was that from the beginning? We were originally called The Workshop, and that uh, sort of evolved into TheaterWorks after about two years. We started growing audience from, from the first day. Uh, we did a lot of shows in different places rather than just in uh, theatrical spaces, and which I think, he, as you said, reflects kind of the sense of that era. Is Art could be everywhere, and, and we really took up at full speed. At what point did, or was there a specific point where TheaterWorks suddenly began to change into a theater company as we know it today? Well, I think by the mid-70s, we were rolling into subscribing, having subscribers, and uh, we started our board of directors in the mid-70s. By the 1980s, we'd become a established community theater that really started to resemble a big city by the time we got around to it. We had a lot of people involved. Tony Haney, who was a wonderful African-American actor and director, came out of Stanford and became the associate artistic director in the 80s. That really helped to uh, formulate the essence of theater works. We became a Bay Area leader in non-traditional casting, culturally specific work that really changed the face of the company and, and put us on the map. Something I've always wanted to know, and maybe there is no difference, is there a difference between what they call community theater and what they call regional theater? Well, regional theater is thought of as professional theater, and there are certainly major professional theaters in every region of the country, and most of them are in main, main cities. TheaterWorks is a bit of an anomaly because we're in a suburban area, and there's no really single large city uh, that we represent uh, between San Jose and San Francisco. Our theaters are in Mountain View and in Palo Alto, but our audience uh, covers the peninsula and, and the South Bay in general, and we've built up a a, you know, a great group of subscribers and donors and wonderful board members over the years. But it is kind of unusual to find a, a thriving, fully professional theater in a suburb. Professional theater. You talked before we turned on the recorder that back in the old days when you weren't a, quote, professional theater, you could have like 40, 50 people in a cast. And now you can't because of equity. That line between whatever comes before professional and professional. Where is that line drawn, and at what point did TheaterWorks cross it? Well, we started hiring equity performers in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. They would be guest artists, and that's pretty typical of other theaters nowadays in the Bay Area where there's some equity guest artists you know, at work in what are otherwise community theaters, and that's kind of what we were at the time. We 
set out to become a professional theater, more or less from the get-go, when we decided to start using equity performers, because we, we found that a lot of the wonderful performers, especially performers of color that we had developed and featured for the better part of a decade, were becoming pros, and we didn't have access to them. And so in order to sort of remain who we were and keep our commitment to diversity, we started to professionalize. And it was also my dream, I think, that this community could support uh, more artists and more theater artists specifically over time, and that's proved to be true. We were lucky in that uh, the community itself was uh, changing uh, to become kind of the center of the Silicon Valley, and that helped us immensely because there were donors and other people who cared deeply about the theater who were able to help us grow. Berkeley Rep is a professional theater, ACT. Usually the definition is that you have a contract with equity and uh, a fixed number of artists that you're required to employ in any given show. As you get into larger cast shows, you can start using non-equity performers here and there, a few. But basically, the commitment is to artists who are paid, who are union members, and who are bringing a level of quality and a level of commitment to the work. Among other things, people are hired by the week and you're rehearsing like a 42-hour week so that you're able to rehearse, not only able to, you need to rehearse in the afternoons or in the mornings. So this is a career, not an avocation at that point. Do you do the casting out of here or do you do back in New York? We're, we cast about 70% out of the Bay Area. It varies by the year and by the show. Something like The Prince of Egypt that we just did with Stephen Schwartz and his son Scott Schwartz directing. There were more actors out of New York than usual for us, so our kind of percentages this last year were a little, little different. But we generally try to find actors here, uh, and we'll do local casting and then head to New York or Los Angeles if there are roles we couldn't find here or that we already knew we needed to a special set of talents there. Robert Kelly, now most theater companies have their own original play departments. There's the ground floor at Berkeley Rep, Sandbox over at SF Playhouse. But the New Works Festival over at TheaterWorks may have been the first of these, was it? Well, we started our very first New Works Festival in 2002. There was several other New Works projects going on in the Bay Area at the time, but we now just completed our 17th uh, New Works Festival, and we've pulled a lot of wonderful plays and musicals out of that festival that were on our main stage season. Probably averaged it out to one a year that showed up on the main stage in their debut world premiere productions. Memphis? Memphis was in our very first. I thought it would take us about five years to find a great show that we could put on our main stage once we started our New Works initiative. But that very first festival featured Memphis, and it wound up on our main stage a, a year and a half later. And, of course, went on to eventually win the Tony Award, which with six members of our original cast still in it. We were no longer the producer of it, but it was a lingering version of what happened here at TheaterWorks. So we were very, very proud. What are some of the other shows that have gone on? And if I recall correctly, there were some very interesting shows that didn't go on, but seem to have gotten pretty good reviews. And maybe someday they'll be revived. Well, there's been a number that have gone from here elsewhere, often around the country. Most of the plays we do in our New Works Festival wind up getting production somewhere around the country. But specifically, uh, Daddy Longlegs, which we've actually done twice, we co-produced the world premiere of that here. 
it wound up with, I think, 16 productions around the world, actually, in uh, London and uh, Japan, Korea, Canada. Finally made it into New York off-Broadway. And that one was just a lovely show, and it's getting a lot of productions around the country now. There have been several others. The most recent two that were major world premieres here, one was Min Kong's The Four Immigrants, an American musical manga based on the lives of four Japanese immigrants to the United States around the turn of the century. It won all kinds of awards all over the Bay Area, and we just finished making a CD of it. So we're hoping it will get out around the country. We'll see how it goes. But it certainly was hugely popular here. The production we just did last fall of uh, The Prince of Egypt, Stephen Schwartz's latest musical, based on the animated film. This was a stage version of it uh, that was hugely popular here. It was a semi-co-production with a theater in Denmark, and it's still actually running there and now has production scheduled all over Europe in various capitals, European capitals. And we're crossing our fingers it's going to make it into London. We'll see. That might be the next stop. You know, we're proud that we have been able to send things uh, both to New York and abroad and to theaters all over the country. But to be honest, that's not why we put the shows on. We put them on for here and for the Bay Area, for our community here. And we're, I think, up to 70 world premieres now over the years we've done at TheaterWorks, which is a pretty good track record. And we're looking at doing more. We have one. Robert Kelly, Broadway has changed. Now, Broadway itself is basically musicals for people from Idaho and Ohio. And off-Broadway, there's still theaters available, but some plays don't even make it to New York, and the good ones used to all make it to New York. Does this affect you in any way? As I said, we're not trying to send plays to New York as a kind of mission. That's not our mission. But I found myself paying more and more attention to shows that are being done around the country rather than just in New York or even in other major theater strongholds like Chicago because some great work is getting done, but it's so expensive to move a musical. The cost factor taking them into New York often limits what's going to be seen to shows that have strong commercial appeal and all that. That's not necessarily important or as important in a regional theater like ours. So I'm looking for great work all over the country. We have a wonderful director of new works, Giovanna Sardelli, who's also a, a director in regional theater all over the place. She's always out scouting for new stuff for us. So we're, we're keeping up to speed on what's happening everywhere. When I talk to Jason Minidakis or Bill English, they'll say, well, the problem we have is that some shows we want, the bigger companies will take, which means you, ACT, Berkeley Rep. Do you ever find yourself in competition with those two companies for shows? Sure. Although, we are, let's just say our artistic direction and vision are, is quite different, actually, among those three theaters, there are inevitably plays that everybody would like to do. Sort of the rule of thumb is uh, that for the agents for any particular play, the larger the theater and the larger the subscription base, the more money they're going to make, and that's how they wind up in particular places. And also, uh, especially in the case of new musicals, it depends on it might depend on your skill set and your ability to produce a big show or produce a musical show with uh, high integrity. That's how The Prince of Egypt wound up at Theater Works. But I, I certainly have seen some wonderful shows uh, being done at both ACT and Berkeley that I would have been proud to see here as it goes along. 
It's the shows that come out of New York with usually some kind of imprimatur that aren't actually touring that people compete for. And there can be any number of things that affect where that show winds up. And occasionally you do things in collaboration. We, uh, we just did a show in collaboration with Marin Theater Company called Skeleton Crew. Uh, we both wanted to do the show. And uh, rather than have a situation where one company did it and the other didn't, we found a way to put the two things together and do it at both theaters, you know, one after another. And it was a lovely show. We were really proud of it. And I know they were very proud of it as well. We don't do a lot of co-productions because they're very expensive, more so than you would think. But we did other desert cities in uh, in a co-production with the Old Globe down in uh, San Diego, and that turned out really, really well. It was a beautiful, beautiful show. Yes, there's kind of a pecking order, but when you look at the different seasons uh, from all of the companies you've mentioned, these wonderful theaters that define uh, the Bay Area in so many ways, it seems like there's plenty of work out there for all of us to make a go at. Now, let's talk about the upcoming season. Currently running through September 16th at Mountain View Center is Native Gardens by Karen Zacharias. It's a conflict between a kind of a Republican couple on one side and a couple from South America on the other side, and they're fighting over garden space. And they're, of course, talking about building a wall between these two families. It's real funny. It's the kind of thing you would see and probably laugh at if it was a couple of neighbors near you. As long as it wasn't you, you probably wouldn't find it that funny. The way people uh, define their territory and stake it out and uh, and in some cases fight over it. But the play, its true purpose is, is as a metaphor for any kinds of ways that we find of dividing ourselves one person or one group from another. In this case, there's a very well-established and very privileged white family on one side and up-and-coming Latinx family on the other. The question is, at a metaphorical level, is America going to find a way for all of us to fit together? How did you find it? We get plays from all over the country. I read a review of it when it was just getting started, and it seemed really interesting. And Karen is a Stanford graduate, so I was sort of aware of her and of her growing body of work around the country. So we got a hold of a script. Little did we know it was going to be produced all over the country. It's extremely popular in theaters everywhere. And I think that's because it it's funny and it's fun to watch it and enjoy uh, this conflict. But I think anyone who sees it quickly realizes that we're talking about the big picture of America. And it's nice to be able to look at some of the issues we're grappling with and still emerge with a smile on your face, which is what's uh, what's lovely about Native Gardens. The next show is Fun Home, which a couple of years ago, only a couple of years ago, was on tour, did a show over at the Curran. It was a limited run, probably mostly sold out. So I guess there's a lot of interest in doing the show and bringing it back to the Bay Area this soon. I saw it when it was first done at the Public Theater. When I walked out, I was determined that it would be here at TheaterWorks someday. It's a remarkable musical and play. It's extraordinarily moving, and it's tremendously important. I think the best way of dealing with a play is to say it could have been done a hundred times in the Bay Area and we would still do it. As a company, this is a show we truly believe in at a very deep level. We've done a, uh, several of Janine Tesori's plays, the composer, believe it or not, starting with her first play, that, a musical that nobody's ever heard of called Galileo, that she was still, I think, in her 20s when she wrote it. And 
it wound up in its Western regional premiere here at Theaterworks long ago. We became friends. Uh, since then, we've done Violet, which she also wrote as a gorgeous musical, and Caroline or Change. If we didn't get around to Shrek and Thoroughly Modern Millie, it's just because we have a little different uh, sense of <laughs> what we're doing here at Theaterworks, but also great shows. But those are the ones that really counted for us. So I couldn't wait to see the show. I actually talked to Janine because I saw it in previews in New York and told her I'd love to do the West Coast premiere. And she just sort of smiled and said, well, something might be happening with it. <laughs> and of course, what was happening was it was going to Broadway and eventually to the multiple Tony Awards. This is a play that everybody should see. It's a great show. It is absolutely a great show. And for people even far away in the East Bay, it's one of those shows where you travel to see the show. Mm -hmm. And I think that separates it. There's a lot of good shows in Marin. There's a lot of good shows down in Palo Alto. And then there's Fun Home. At least that's my perspective. Well, I have to agree with you. And I hope people come from all over the region to see it because it's going to be a beautiful production. We have a wonderful cast. Robert Kelly, other shows. Tuck Everlasting. Now, this started at TheaterWorks. Tuck Everlasting had a fairly short run on Broadway. The authors first started work on it here at TheaterWorks in our New Works retreat. They wrote a couple of songs for it here, and they're really nice guys, Chris Miller and Nathan Tyson. Their other musical, Burnt Park Boys, was in our New Works Festival. But they started work on Tuck while they were here at one of our retreats. I talked to them about it, and they said, yeah, I don't know if you remember, but one of the great songs in the show we wrote there, and it's still in the show, and is one of the big hits called The Top of the World. It's in some ways full circle, you know, that the, that's where they got started on it. And, uh, of course, we don't claim that we developed it all the way through, but uh, I couldn't wait to see it. It took them a long time to get it to Broadway, and I managed to see it. And I thought it was terrific. Really? Yeah, I really did. I think it had trouble finding an audience in New York because it's a family show. And it also is a show that title-wise splits generations. The book it's based on was written within the last 25 years. And so that some of the more traditional theater audiences that you would think of as, old, you know, somewhat older generations never heard of it. They have no idea, even though their uh, kids might be reading it or might be studying it in school. It doesn't have the uh, built-in audience that you would uh, associate with uh, a lot of existing literature. They were running it in April and May in New York. I just love it. I think it's a fantastic score and. A great CD, absolutely great. I just can't wait to do it. I'm very excited. It's about a family of immortals. It is. Well, I think that's why it's uh, interesting in schools. It kind of asks the question, if you could live forever, would you? There is a family in it that has uh, stumbled onto a spring of life that both allows them to, but also forces them to live forever. And uh, they bump into this wonderfully fascinating young 11-year-old who discovers their secret and eventually is given the opportunity to join them or to go on with her own life. It's a beautiful, beautiful play and beautiful decision that she winds up making. What were the reviews like in New York? Well, they were certainly mixed. There was, a, there was actually some very nice things said about it in the New York Times. Other people found it a little too sweet for New York's tastes, I guess, and it did have trouble finding an audience. But not with me. I I saw it and fell in love with it and couldn't wait to bring it to theater works. Then you're doing at the Loman Theater in Los Altos, 
Santaland Diaries by David Sedaris, adapted by Joe Montello, a uh, one-act play from 1996 that you did last year. We did it last year. Kind of, It was kind of a fling. We decided we would try a holiday show that was kind of the opposite of what we normally do, which is uh, we tend to do family-oriented show at the holidays that you actually can bring your family to. And we, we wind up with, you know, usually three generations all sitting together to see a show at TheaterWorks at that time. But this one was a little bit, a little edgier, obviously, and uh, designed for a different audience. It did quite well at a smallish 180-seat theater that's part of Foothill College, which is nearby. Um, we wanted to try a new theater space. They have a new theater there that we we got a chance to try out. And uh, it went well enough that we thought, well, let's give it another, another crack and see if uh, we can bring people back and add some more people to the fold. Frost Nixon, the next show at Mountain View Center. And it's by Peter Morgan, who is also the guy responsible for The Crown on Netflix. This one came first. It's been a film and it was a successful play. Is there a specific reason now because of Nixon Trump? Yes. I think looking at the power of the presidency, looking at the power of the media, of course, all those things have changed dramatically since the Watergate era. But there are some underlying aspects of that era versus this one that seem very clear parallels. And this play I'd always admired. It hadn't gotten a professional production in the Bay Area. It's been produced, but it hasn't been done in a, at a professional company. And we thought this was the right time to do it. This season as a whole has a pretty strong political underpinning and certainly hold these truths, which we opened the season with, about uh, Gordon Hirabayashi, who resisted the internment of Japanese and Japanese Americans during World War II and now Karen's uh, play, Native Gardens, about walls between people. And certainly Fun Home has a political edge to it, unmistakable one, as does Frost-Nixon. I think the Frost-Nixon, um, which takes place during the David Frost interviews of Nixon after he was uh, done with the presidency and uh, really tries to manipulate his legacy, and Frost tries to uh, pin him down to specifics. It really does deal with the media, with presidential power, and in this case, with abuse of power. The next show is Marie and Rosetta by George Brandt at the Lucy Stern. It's about Sister Rosetta Tharp, and when she meets her protege, Marie Knight, it takes place in their rehearsal room, which is also their bedroom, which also has coffins in it. It's from 2016 Atlantic Theater Company. I read some reviews which said the music is transcendent in the show. I read a review in, I think it's Washington, D.C. They used separate singers and separate actors, so two people play each role. We probably will have musicians that fill in for them, similar to what you've uh, talked about in Washington and similar to how they did it at the Atlantic. The challenge is Rosetta Tharp is a legend of rock and roll, uh, gospel rock and roll. She just was ensconced in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, back in April. It was a tremendous influence on well, just everybody, Presley and Ray Charles and you name it, all some of the big figures of early rock and roll uh, were completely influenced by her, and she played guitar. She was a fantastic guitar player. 
And when you see her perform and listen to her play, it's revelatory and spectacular. Now, if there were another Rosetta Tharp out in the in the world who was also a consummate actress, that's probably who you would cast in the play. But I think theaters around the country, the ones who are picking up the play, in my opinion, are wisely going for musicians who can create the sound that's very distinctive and brilliant and actors and singers who can create the essence of Rosetta on stage. So that's the way we're going to go with it, and we, we hope it'll work. Hershey Felder as Debussy, I've seen him a couple of times. He's very good. <laughs> he does his thing. He does. This will be the third Hershey show that we've done. They've been absolutely fascinating, fantastic. And of course, they're hugely popular in the Bay Area uh, here and at Berkeley Rep. This will be the first world premiere of his that we've done. He has said that this will be the last one in the series of these composers he has done. I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot of composers out there, <laughs> and it's a wonderful kind of franchise of shows that bring composers to life. This one, Hershey said he wanted it to come here because he knew this was going to be my last year and the 50th anniversary of the company. It actually is one of the closing shows of our 49th season, but it is also going to launch at the beginnings of what, in April, and April 1st is when we began TheaterWorks. So this will be right as we hit the year that will eventually finish up our 50 years. And the final show of the season, speaking of political, is Archduke by Rajiv Joseph. We've done two of his shows so far. This, I think, is the third. But we've also done two additional ones in our New Works Festival, of which Archduke was one. It was in our festival. And Describe the Night was also in our festival. When Rajiv was just getting started on it, it just won the Obie Award for Best New Play this last spring. We've been watching out for Archduke since it was in the festival and then went on to debut at the Mark Taper Forum. Giovanna Sardelli, who's our director of New Works, does a lot of plays with Rajiv. I have to admit, we kind of hoped this one would wind up here once it had had its debut down at the, the Mark Taper, which commissioned it. It's very fascinating. It's a look at the very strange collection of young men. I wanted they, they were described as anarchists, but they really didn't even have a political philosophy at the time that they became the would-be assassins of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, the event that launched World War One, and wound up, of course, uh, creating devastating chaos all around the world, and certainly, especially in Europe. Like so many of Rajiv's plays, it's both serious and funny. There's amazing comedy. And when you actually read the history of these young guys, their ineptitude is actually kind of funny. They blow it when they try to do this assassination. And then through an amazing chain of events, they are able to succeed. But this play really is about the events that lead up to this uh, earth-changing, world-changing century-changing event with both comedy and drama. It's a fascinating play. How do you think it ties into our current political situation? You actually watch the making of a terrorist. You see how uh, frighteningly easy it is to take a kind of ordinary, if not terribly intelligent person and turn them into the person who can alter the course of a century, who can certainly take other people's lives 
this is our new world. This is the world we're in. We're surrounded with people and events frighteningly close to those described over a century ago, 1914. It's kind of a play about events that have become commonplace rather than unique in our society. And I think that's what makes this both fascinating as drama, as history, and certainly as politics. Robert Kelly, have you picked out some of the plays for your final season? I've got a couple of them in mind. We haven't signed any contracts yet. We're always looking at shows that we don't have the rights to, that we hope we'll get. We have a group of five of us who read and consider works for theater works, and we're hard at work on it right now to see where it might go. We've got a couple of possible world premieres on the season, and I have to admit I've at least been looking into our past to see if there's anything that is worthy of a repeat production. When you have a list of about 200 plays that someday you'd love to do that are just fabulous, whether they're they're classics, they're new, they're comedies, they're dramas, musicals, everything, there are a lot of possibilities out there. And finding how they all might fit together is the challenge, especially with what will be my last TheaterWorks season in mind. Have you narrowed down the list of people to succeed you yet? Not really. We've spent kind of the last year working... uh, very hard with our board of directors and some other stakeholders of the company to try to define what kind of leader is right for the next, hopefully many years, maybe not 50, but the next many years at TheaterWorks to move the company forward. We certainly have a lot of possibilities. Among them is to continue our work as doing both drama and musicals, which is I guess musicals are being more done at uh, America's major theaters now than ever before. We've always done at least three, sometimes more a year. So that probably will continue as, you know, as a focal point. So we're looking for people who could, you know, pick up that idea and move it forward. The company also uh, prides itself on diverse programming, and we certainly want to find uh, someone who embraces that as much as we have so far. And we also have a what we kind of vaguely call a family feeling in theater works uh, that uh, brings us all together, holds us all together, and uh, I think is evident in the work we put on stage. And so we're hoping to find someone who can keep that tradition alive as well. You know, when I'm looking at your schedule and I see a show that flopped in New York like Tuck Everlasting, I keep thinking, you know, there's a lot of shows that didn't find an audience, have flaws that are very good that disappear simply because people haven't heard of them. One of the things the theater work has done is you're not afraid to put on shows that fit that framework. Not at all. I think there are shows that uh, don't work for New York. They don't work for, to a certain extent, the underlying cynicism that I think uh, is prevalent, in the, at least in the critical uh, world there. They may not be designed to appeal to a broad audience for one reason or another, like a Disney-type show or something like that. Nevertheless, there's something in them that speaks to me, and we have certainly not been afraid to put them on in the past. Rags is a great example. Uh, I still I still remember a, a season review of upcoming shows that was in one of the local papers here saying Theater Works has gone crazy all over again, and they're bringing in Rags, which was one of the biggest failures on Broadway there ever was. And turned out to be a wonderfully big hit here, thank goodness. But we would have been proud to do it whether it was or wasn't. It was an important show for us. 
And Tuck is kind of like that. You know, it didn't find an audience in New York, but I believe it will find one here. That's one of the nice things about being around for a long time is uh, you really get to know your audience and your community. I grew up in this community. I emerged from it. So I, I feel like my core values as a as a person and as a as an artistic director reflect the values of this community and that's so yeah i i guess i have faith that we can find shows that are going to work here that maybe didn't work anywhere else one final question when carrie perloff opened the strand she went next door to twitter and she said hey we're in your neighborhood you know let's do something together and basically got the finger up You know, we're in Silicon Valley here, and obviously you're going to get a lot of support from Stanford and from the very, very articulate and smart community that you have here. Do you get that kind of support from Silicon Valley? We have great donor support. Most of it is in individuals. It comes from individuals. And there are a lot of people in the in this area who have the ability to support the arts financially. And, and we feel extremely fortunate that they've been supportive of theater works. At the corporate level, no. There is very limited support for the arts in Silicon Valley. There's a tremendous amount of, uh, or reasonably large amount of philanthropic spending in the corporations around here. But most of it is uh, aimed at world problems, major world issues, as opposed to making the community stronger for their employees or what have you. In fact, there was a survey done of 25 largest uh, corporations in uh, the South Bay, I don't know, it was at least five years ago, that found that something like 95% of the corporate philanthropy in the South Bay went outside of the South Bay. And then what was left was divided up among various wonderful nonprofit organizations and charities and all of that, uh, divided into maybe 10 groups, medicine, poverty, etc. And number 10 was the arts. So the pie, the pie got divided down very small, and then it got redivided again, and the arts haven't been up at the top. On the other hand, uh, people love the arts around this area, and uh, we feel really lucky that there are so many great personal supporters of the company. And we're in a, you know, like uh, I suppose uh, a lot of theaters, we are in an area that has great great colleges nearby, so there's some of that going on as well, certainly Stanford. But others have a great deal of arts interest, so off we go. We're still here, and we're still going pretty strong after 48 years. Have you started figuring out what plays you're going to do and where you're going to go after you leave, or is that just so far ahead? Well, not really. I My motive in, in moving on and retiring is to make sure that this company that I dearly, dearly love has leadership in place for the future and has a way of assuring it will carry on with great leadership long after I'm gone. On the other hand, uh, I'm still here and I'm available. So if you know anybody, have them give me a call. I'm ready to go. Currently, Native Gardens runs through September 16th. That's at the Mountain View Center. Fun Homes first preview is October 3rd, also at Mountain View Center, and that runs through the month of October. And you can get more information by going to TheaterWorks, T-H-E-A-T-R-E-W-O-R-K-S dot org.